Welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold Podcast, the podcast where we talk JMU athletics, brought to you by the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin, and here with Noah Fleischman, uh, two beat writers here at the DNR, covering all kinds of JMU sports. Uh, I don't know about you, Noah, I kind of feel like we need like some sort of intro music or anything. It's weird jumping in on this cold every time, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think we, we should make some intro music. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to figure something out. I, I know... In the past, there's been issues about like getting onto uh, iTunes and stuff, or you know, Apple Podcasts with rights issues and things like that. But I think, I think now that we're on there, we should be safe. And we'll, we'll figure out something with fair use or public domain or something because I'm, I'm getting tired of the jumping in, jumping in cold and sound, sounds awkward every time. But I guess other awkward moments perhaps here for the past uh, couple of weeks or you know a week or so uh nfl draft came and went and didn't go quite the way i think a lot of people around jmu football program were were hoping uh i think there was some optimistic optimism that there'd be you know maybe a draft pick coming out of jmu again and if not that a little bit more action on the free agent market than we ended up seeing this weekend i know i know you've been talking to some of the people who um graduated from jmu and were having some pro uh, aspirations here what what have you heard about where everyone stands and you know just just fill us in where where things are with those guys yeah leading into the draft i mean cole cole johnson the quarterback he had a lot of interest apparently on twitter people are saying you know this team is interested the chargers the ravens a couple other teams are interested in and the draft came in wit people thought maybe he could slide in seventh round with all these interests popping up but he didn't and then Kind of shot him a text a little bit after the draft saying, like, you know, seemed like you're going to be a hot, a hot commodity just being about how many teams are interested. And he's really saying nobody's shown too much interest quite yet, um, just on the free agent market. I mean, we could see he could get a mini camp invite, but those are also kind of running out of time for us. So it's kind of hard to tell on that so on that front. But Liam Fornadel and, and Mike Green, both with mini camp invites, Liam with the Steelers next weekend. Mike actually has got two. He's in Chicago this weekend, and then he'll be in Tampa Bay next weekend. So couple guys ending up with some, some opportunities to try out and maybe get themselves into a training camp. But right now it's, it's just looking like they're going to, going to go two for four on that front. You know, first off, we'll talk about Cole a bit more. Just, you know, it seemed like it was a slower market for quarterbacks in general than yeah. maybe people were anticipating. Um, it was also was a situation also where maybe people were putting his name out there. Like, you know, it was a little bit, you know, shenanigans like going into the draft. You know, people – don't want to let on who they're actually interested in. Maybe they'll see what how people react to a guy's name coming out there. What was was there some smoke screen going on with Cole that I mean there was definitely plenty of talk coming from people who seemed to be involved in, you know, the whole draft coverage thing that there was legit interest in Cole. And it's not necessarily surprising that he didn't get drafted, but it's a little surprising that he's not picked up somewhere at this point, I I, I think. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, sometimes teams will play the game where they'll leak information just to try to show that they're interested in one guy and make go out after another. I mean, this wasn't a strong quarterback class at all. I mean, you had one quarterback draft in the first round and then a couple more in the third. So, overall, I mean, it's not a surprise, but at the same time, it's like, with it not being a very strong quarterback class, you would expect him to end up in a training camp somewhere. There's still time. He could end up in a camp. But right now, I mean, it's kind of surprising he's not even in a mini camp at this point. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, the the real hardcore football fans, NFL fans, understand 
situation with Mike Green, but to explain to people who maybe only start really following the NFL once the games begin, yeah. you know, how, how's this work where he's going to go to a couple different mini camps and working out for different teams and um, and it's like almost still an audition process for him. Yeah, I mean, basically, best way to put it, it's basically a tryout. You're there with the rookies that they drafted, but also they're bringing in most teams signed anywhere from like 5, 10, 15 of these guys. They're not even signed. He's not even signed. So he's going to show up to this practice is what it is. Two days. Some of them are two days. Some of them are three days long. But it's basically an audition. You're going to be there with the rookies they drafted, the undrafted guys that they signed, and then in the boat that both Liam and Mike are in, is they just got invited. So they're not there on a contract. They're there just to kind of earn a contract, kind of get their face out there a little bit more. And, I mean, Mike going to two, it looks like it's pretty good double your chances of trying to get on the team. Liam got one. So, I mean, it's better than nothing at the end of the day. You're still working to get that contract signed. And, I mean, they could end up with a contract after it, or you get an invite to come back to training camp and kind of redo the process, but for a longer period of time. And it's better than just these teams seeing you in a – two-hour workout session they get to see you go across two or three days and see you in on the field and in the in the looking at film and things like that too so i would say it's a good sign if you think these guys have pro aspirations so it's a, it's a right, right first step for them to go down is it is it a situation to where you know mike goes to chicago for you said chicago first right mm-hmm. and then he, <clears throat> he's got tampa on the schedule too but um is it a situation where chicago might tell him hey don't don't go down there you're a guy where he's gonna you're gonna stay here like or is it probably more likely that he's going to work out for both? He's going to play with both of them, and you know, will Liam possibly you know go more than one place if as things progress? Liam's kind of interesting because his is next weekend, which I think a lot of teams are in that 13, 14, 15 weekend. The Bears have it this coming weekend on the six, seven, eight. So I mean, it's a little bit harder, I guess, for Liam with more teams having it that same weekend. Mike actually was able to get into a team that had an early one and then go into <coughs> the following weekend where a lot of the teams are doing it. Uh, but Mike could end up walking away with, with Chicago with an undrafted contract, and then he wouldn't have to go to Tampa. But, I mean, he's at least got that fallback option. If Chicago doesn't go well, he's, number one, going to get himself in front of two teams. Number two, he's going to go through it once. So then when he goes down to Tampa, he already knows what he's pretty much walking into, and it might go a little bit better the second time around. Yeah. Uh, while we're on the topic of football, Jamie football, quickly go over transfer yeah. portal action here from the past you know, week they'd gotten a few guys. They'd had a few guys leave last time we were in here talking. Um, maybe I think a couple more since then. Yeah. They brought in a punter. They brought in a wide receiver. Just quickly recap transfer portal action on the James football side. Yeah, we talked about it last week. I mean, they had their four first four transfers jump in the portal on the same day, headlined by you know Austin Douglas at running back. They added uh, Troy Lewis last week, a wide receiver from East Carolina who registered there. Um, but he's a Richmond guy, so I mean, he's what Jamie wants for those Virginia guys coming in. He's going to audition, not audition, he's going to try to compete for that that back of the, the back of the wide receiver depth, trying to get his way on the field. I mean, he redshirted. He's, he's been around college football before for a year, but he's not going to be that guy to step in and be on the other side of Chris Thornton. And then you look at the on Saturday or Sunday, they added Sam Clark, a punter from Sacramento State, and people were kind of surprised by that because Jamie... In spring, had two punters on the roster with Justin Ritter and Hugo Nash. Hugo Nash from Australia. Um, well, it turns out Hugo's in the transfer portal, too. He entered over the weekend, so he's gone. And so they had to replace him. They go get another Aussie, this one with college experience already. Um, he averaged like 44 yards a punt last year. He's got the long of 72 at Sacramento State. So he's there, compete for the starting job at punter. But Justin Ritter had a pretty solid spring at punter. So it should be an interesting competition 
heading into the fall at that position. But overall, JMU, Portal, I mean, they still, I don't know, I got to figure out the exact number of scholarships to the left. I think they've got a few left. They could go back in the Portal if they want. Um, but we do know that they're not going to, from what we talked to Signetti last in like January, they're not really going to push that 85 limit this first year. So they could be done. They could add a couple more guys in the Portal. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and it's important to mention that that May 1st date has come and gone where the guys could take advantage of the one-time transfer thing. You, you may still some pe- see some people, if they're willing to sit out, yeah. go out, or if possibly if they're graduated or something like that. But, but that's uh, only to enter, so like anyone can commit now and still get it. Yeah, yeah. So, so for the... So, yeah, they could still bring in recruits that are already in the portal, but I think we've seen probably everybody who's going to leave JMU. Yeah. Um, how surprised were you about Hugo Nash, who... Uh, was immediately popular on JMU's <laughs> campus just as a as the heir to Harry Ke- Harry O'Kelly, uh, you know, the uh, probably the most popular man on campus, and you know bringing in that awesome mugshot with the uh, mustache and everything. I mean, it seemed he like the, he had the Aussie hair, the Aussie mustache, but I don't think things really worked out. I mean, didn't really see a whole lot of him in, during the spring. I mean, specialists you don't really see a ton of, but I guess. Things just didn't work out. He's now in the portal. They bring in another Australian punter. Something to do with these guys from Pro Kick Australia, who is where Harry O'Kelly came from, and then his brother, who's at Texas State. I mean, Australian punting is a thing that's taking over college football. And, I mean, we saw it work with Harry O'Kelly, and you bring in Sam Clark, a guy who's played a couple of years. Football, he's got one year left. I mean, you're bringing a guy with one year of eligibility left. You, he's got a pretty good shot at winning that job. Yeah. Yeah, so we say goodbye to uh, JMU legend Hugo Nash. who After one semester. Yeah. Not, not even. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, yeah. I mean, he was, he I got mean, here in January. Yeah, he's came, came early as a true freshman um, and won't be here in the fall. So yeah. in, interesting situation there. Um, transition away from football a little bit to, I guess, you know, it's still we're still talking a little football, but, um, you know, Jeff Bourne, athletic director at JMU, has been uh, a little bit more visible in the media here the last couple of days on a couple of interviews. One was a press conference where, uh, he and Jimmy Vice President Tim Miller, they they were open and available to talk about the death of Lauren Burnett, um, some of the issues surrounding that, the cancellation of the softball team, um, addressing some mental health issues for college students in general and JMU athletes also, um, how, how they're dealing with that. Um, you know, I don't know if there's a whole lot left to say yeah. about that. I mean, I'm planning on tackling – that subject of mental health and a story, but that you know takes a lot of time to uh, gather all everything we need for that. But uh, I had then had a one-on-one with Jeff the following day, discussing you know some things just going on in college sports, uh, in particular the uh, NCAA tran- transformation committee. I got transfer on the brain, so I almost said transfer committee, but um, you know, the transformation committee where they've met, they've you know tossed out some proposals, ideas, things that are going to be discussed and surveyed among NCAA members and eventually voted on. And it sounds like a lot could change across college sports here in the coming months to years to who knows how long. Um, So Jeff was able to talk to me a little bit about that. And it, it was an interesting conversation just given, you know, I don't know how much of it is, you know, still still melancholy feeling over this community following Lauren's death and things. But I, I felt like this was maybe the first time I've talked to Jeff in several months where his, 
excitement level was not as high. And I don't know, you know, since that, since all the Sunbelt stuff became official, even before then when it was like, you know, pretty clear JMU was moving up to FBS and we just weren't quite sure exactly what conference it was going to be in. Like his excitement level to talk about stuff, where JMU was going, what was happening with JMU, what was happening in college sports in general, his excitement level to talk about all that was pretty high. He was a happy guy here for several months. This last conversation with him, I felt like it was a little bit different tone just like for the uncertainty of what's going to happen with the Division One sports, if there's going to be any more of a kind of a split, which he suggested he thinks is a real possibility that there's another divide within Division One at some point in the relatively near future um, and not being sure where JMU fits in that. So it, it was it was an interesting conversation. He was pretty candid about you know what he knows and what he doesn't know, but just what are your thoughts coming through on this? You, I'm sure you've read the articles, the transformation committee, and we can kind of go through what things they've discussed, but just your thoughts. Are, are you anticipating some massive changes? I mean, when you look at the like, college football landscape, which I mean, is what really would affect the most of, of most sports. I mean, there's already kind of a divide there within the FBS with the power five and the group of five. I mean, the same token, you, you saw Cincinnati, make their run last year in the college football playoff. But, yeah, I mean, like, the divide is already there, and I think that it's a real possibility, as you said, that they could just make it more official and just take Division One football, cut it half again, and you've already did that with the FCS, now you do it again, and, and you, you just take Power Five conferences and make them something, and you take the group of five and make them something, and you have the FCS, I don't know. It's kind of weird, but, yeah, it's definitely a real possibility, but we've already kind of seen it a little bit, so. Yeah, and... We can talk a little bit about the you know, specifics of certain proposals. Where, you know, one of them was that basically to eliminate any caps on yeah. on-field football staff. So if you're Texas A&M and you've got unlimited funds, you could have 25 assistant coaches on the field coaching all the time, you know, you know guys in charge of minuscule responsibilities to you're basically you know, take stuff off. You're turning college football into the NFL at that point. Yeah. And, and, you know, and like, even if a program like JMU is allowed to do that, that's going to be a burden to try to hire that many mm. people. Right now, they're still trying to catch up to basically the Sunbelt level of staffing. I mean, they're missing a lot of, of the administrative. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, something I probably, I think it's probably got to be a big concern for JMU. You look at um, talk of, you know, what's called an equivalency sport in the NCAA and Division One is where they don't fund scholarships. You don't have scholarships for everybody on the roster, but in sports like baseball, softball, I believe across, there, there are a few sports where it's equivalency where you can hand out quarter scholarships, half scholarships. You've got a certain number of scholarships to work with, and you can divide them up basically however you want. Whereas, you know, in um, FBS football, for instance, the, there's no half scholarships. You, you can't like say, okay, well, we got 85 scholarships, and we're going to give you know these four guys each half of these two. Like that doesn't exist in FBS football. Um, but for those, when you they're talking about getting rid of that essentially, and allowing you allowing full scholarships for entire rosters in those sports, which JMU then would have to kind of like make a decision right now. It's kind of a boast for JMU that they are a mid-major that fully funds their entire athletic department as far as scholarships go. Um, you know, if if you're allowed, I think it's 
I want to say it's like 13 for lacrosse, then they're fully paying for all 13 of those scholarships. If suddenly you have to fill out your whole roster of softball, baseball, lacrosse, swimming and diving, all these sports with full scholarships just to compete, that's another incredible expense that's added to JMU that is going to be a bigger burden for schools like JMU um, compared to you know, UVA, Virginia Tech, some of the schools around here, which JMU is making strides that are towards trying to be competitive with those teams on the field, regardless of like some of the other constraints they have. And it might just get even tougher if you're talking about extra costs for scholarships. Um, so I think you know if you're a Duke Club member, I think you can probably expect several calls here in the near future because getting those donations to kind of cover that and be ready to fill more scholarships is going to be, I think, a major, major concern for JMU going forward. Um, but it was just, I found it very interesting that very early on in the conversation, we're talking about a JMU athletic department that is coming off a women's college world series run that just finished top five in the country in that sport that has, you know, a recent national championship in lacrosse that's made a deep NCAA tournament run in men's soccer. That's got, four division one national championships overall they've been in the playoffs in football obviously the situation of football is changing but you're moving to the fbs with the idea that there's going to be an expanded playoff and that you know major bowl games and potentially a college football playoff spot somewhere down the line are possibilities for this program if they can do well in the Sun Belt. and the almost one of the first things we said he said during that conversation yesterday was you know, we're going to judge ourselves by our conference. Like, you know, our goal is to compete and win our conference championships, which I found to be very interesting for a school that's had so much national success that, like, he's almost, like, looking at it now as, like, okay, I don't know if the national success is off the table, but, like, maybe that's not something you can judge yourselves on anymore if these changes come into effect. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, like, judging yourself, well, first of all, put things in perspective, JMU has, I think, the largest budget of any Sunbelt school next year. I mean, athletically, athletic-wise. It's like $60 million, I think, is what you, what, you, what you had said. But you're also jumping in the conference that's a lot harder in most of the sports that you're jumping into. I mean, football, you, are, you obviously know what you're getting. And then you have baseball, which is a conference that's going to have six to eight top 100 teams. You've got lacrosse jumping into the American, which is going to have, what, three to four NCAA tournament teams from this year in it or more. So, I mean, at the same point, like, yeah, you're not going to – you might not see them national success just because you're going through a gauntlet now. Of, you might not be able to get there as often or where, you know, in softball and all the other sports and say, hey, I mean, softball lacrosse, you could basically pencil it in that they're going to win the tournament and get to the NCAA tournament. So at this point now it's like it might be a little more harder to get to the, the tournaments in each respective sport just by looking at who you're – grouped with and who you're going to go against i mean it, it helps with recruiting it helps with probably getting an at large bid but it just doesn't help help you kind of shoe in on the fact you're going to win the conference title every year like like lacrosse or or football and things like that really have come accustomed to yeah i mean that that is an interesting point but i think it also you're looking at probably the at law or the the automatic bids are going to be harder to come by but there's going yeah. to be more at large opportunities potentially mm-hmm. in some sports um i just do find it interesting that like you know, maybe they're going to get to a point where valuing a regular season title in a sport in the in the Sun Belt is valued almost as much as anything else mm-hmm. that you do. Which I 
I've always felt that those regular season titles can be undervalued when you're a mid-major because they're extremely difficult to win. And then you can feel like your season was all of a sudden a failure because like you had a bad weekend following that. Or maybe not even a bad weekend. Maybe you just like only got to the championship game and lost by two points and like, you know, all of a sudden like it's a disappointment. Um, you know, just going into um, the Atlantic Union Bank Center, you see a whole lot of regular season championships on those banners in there. And I feel like they're undervalued a little bit as far as like how consistent uh, JMU men's and women's basketball have been over certain periods of time. They're undervalued a bit because getting to the NCAA tournament is so hard. So in some ways, you know, maybe that's an ideal situation for JMU. And, you know, you also brought up the budget situation. JMU is going to have the highest budget in the Sun Belt. They're going to have, they're going to be in the top tier when it comes to group of five conference schools. But Jeff is always also quick to point out that JMU, like schools do their accounting differently. JMU is one that includes a lot of things in that 60 million that other schools don't necessarily. Cheerleading squads, you know, paying for support staff and everything to go to Frisco, things like that, like end up getting put into that 60 million. Um, that doesn't make up the difference between there's a huge gap between say Southern Miss. I yeah. think they're down, you know, under 30 million and JMU spending close to 60 million. Um, your, your, your dance team and your pep band are not making up, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Um, so JMU is going to be, you know, up there as far as spending, but the numbers can be a little bit deceiving. I mean, even if you're, even if you're going to be generous and you know slice ten million off of JMU's and add ten million to you know a Marshall or a Southern Miss, there's still there's still a significant difference. And JMU was outspending the CAA by a ton of money. How much they can continue to do that is going to be a little bit unclear. As you know, just just going forward with all this kind of uncertainty of what they're going to get, what the return on investment for that is going to be. Um, so. That, that conversation with Jeff, I thought, was pre- pretty illuminating that, you know, for one, he's – I don't know if it's fair to say that he's, like, less excited right now, but just there wasn't as much of, like, the outward happiness from some of the announcements of the Sun Belt going forward. And I don't think there's any regret for going to the Sun Belt. I mean, I think, if anything, this proves that it was absolutely essential to make the move now before any of this stuff starts to happen – but um, it, it could change kind of the overall long-term landscape of what this FBS move means for JMU. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something to watch and definitely something to keep an eye on kind of over the next couple of years and however long it takes to really get this thing rolling. But, I mean, we'll see. I mean, at least they moved to the Sun Belt now, and at least football is in the FBS, so you don't have to worry about that moving forward, and that could help save save them and keep them in the conversation for a little bit of other things just – when, when if a divide happens again, where where Jamie will end up? Yeah, I mean, you you absolutely could not have stayed in the CAA and been on that side of things if further divide comes along. It, yeah, you'd have been just completely left behind, and then deciding what what the heck you're spending that much money on to be at a lower level of of college sports. We can move on a little bit uh i guess more tangible things that are happening you know right now uh i've been wanting to rant a little bit on on uh basketball recruiting stuff because 
you know, for weeks, you know, it's kind of just reading comments, getting comments, questions like what's wrong with JMU? Like, you know, they're not getting any commitments. You know, they're missing out on guys, everything. In the end, they've gotten their top two targets in the transfer portal. Like the guys that they really wanted that were their priorities for getting, they got, you know, Mezio Foreman, a uh, big man coming from Mount St. Mary's, who's going to get add a lot of versatility, size, athleticism to this team. And then the big one, Noah Friedel from South Dakota State, who is just <clears throat> an outstanding scoring guard. And he's dealt with some mental health issues at South Dakota State, some things that kind of you know, kept him off the court at times. But when he's been on the court, he's been one of the best players that's available in the transfer portal. And he's coming to JMU. He's committed and signed his, uh, his agreement to uh, accept scholarship at JMU. They did really well in the portal so far. I still have one scholarship to give. They've gotten a high school kid, uh, Xavier Brown, who seems like a pretty good pickup too. Just, um, you know, I guess my rant a bit a little bit is, but just like uh, people getting a little bit, you know, testy, impatient with the recruiting when, you know, so far I think Mark Byington's probably earned a little bit of trust with this uh, fan base, uh, winning a CAA championship in his first season, uh, doing pretty well last year back-to-back winning seasons and just the level of talent he's gotten through the portal since he's gotten here were, were you surprised by kind of the reactions to the whole ups and downs of transfer portal from fan base so far yeah i mean we've seen this across multiple sports you look at football in the same situation in the transfer portal well i mean maybe they just you're just dealing with less openings in basketball and i think that that just takes time to fill and you you can't you can't bring in you're only going to be able to bring in like three or four guys, and if you miss on two of them, then your season is kind of a waste of two scholarships. I mean, going the patient route and getting guys they want to get instead of kind of rushing through it and you end up with some dudes that aren't going to play or not going to provide a lot of minutes for you, I mean, that that's probably the situation that Byington wanted to be in, and then he got the two guys they wanted. I mean, they got one more to play with, and they can go for that guy maybe that they weren't as high on. Now that they got their kind of number one and number two off the board already. Yeah, and you know, one thing that jumped out to me is like you, you see a lot of comments, uh, things about like, oh well, it's concerning now they haven't gotten anybody as you know into April. They got an earlier start than everybody because they didn't play in a conference tournament. <clears throat> you know, that didn't make any sense to me for one thing, because you know, you're not getting anybody in the portal when nobody's in the portal yet. Like there's there really does no head start like until other seasons ended yeah. when it came to that. Um and then it's just, you know, you see a lot of people assuming that they're missing out on guys that they were, you know, really weren't really even recruiting just because they'd been, you know, if a national recruiting reporter calls somebody an hour after they've been in the portal and they say, yeah, I've talked to these five schools and James Madison on the, is on the list, doesn't necessarily mean that James Madison is recruiting that kid that heavily. It doesn't mean that a week later they're recruiting him at all. And it certainly doesn't mean that they missed out on a certain player just because, like, they've had a phone conversation with him once. And I don't know, you probably see that football to some mm-hmm. degree, too. You covered VCU basketball before coming here. Like, how often did you see kind of that, like, yeah. panic mode from fans when it comes to recruiting? I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because when you talk about the national the national reporters, you see these guys, they're like, they just entered the portal, and they've got a list of 30 schools that have reached out. And it's like... They're all reaching out. But, I mean, overall, when you look at, at, like, the experience from VCU, I mean, 
they they were a team that they're still like actively in the portal now. They have one scholarship left. They just got another commitment. I mean, they're in the same situation as JMU. They're not rushing things. Um, they just got a sharpshooter from Hartford, but I think they're in the same boat. Just being the Atlantic Ten, a little bit better of a conference for basketball wise. I mean, one of like the probably you talk about the group of five in the FBS. That's probably a group of five conference, one of the the top mid major conferences in the country, and and they're they're approaching the portal the same way as JMU. So I wouldn't be too worried about not having a full full roster yet. I mean, a lot of schools don't have a full roster. I mean, you look at Duke, one of the top teams in the country. They're still out there in the portal. So, I mean, there's a lot of teams that are still looking at pieces, and the portal's probably still going to be hopping for another month or two. Yeah, and you do see, t- too, that there's varying degrees of how open people are. Like, there are, there are recruits that are in the portal that, like, basically don't say anything until they've just made a decision. Um, some of them are all over social media. Some of them have basically no social media. There are coaches that like leak stuff out. Others that play close to the vest, especially until they're comfortable with knowing they've got somebody. Um, and, you know, like, it, interesting, you know, just take it to a national level. You know, Amoni Bates, who was one of the top recruits in the country a year ago, went to Memphis. There's a whole saga there about what things that happened. And he's in the transfer portal. He's a kid from Michigan who had one point been committed to Michigan State before switching to Memphis. And so he releases his top five that includes Eastern Michigan and University of Michigan. And, like, you know, within a few hours of him releasing that graphic, it's getting it's getting leaked basically from the Michigan staff saying, like, we're not recruiting this guy. I don't know why he's putting us on his list. Like, we're not talking to him. So, like, the things that you see on Twitter, on social media, coming from different people, like, those things can be insane. Like, and hard hard to know exactly what you're getting. I, you know, Jamie, you had a situation like this, too. Like, um, there was, you know, uh, Buddha Johnson from down in Alabama, uh, grew up in Virginia, but then moved to Alabama. And Jamie was recruiting him at one point. By the time he made his announcement, Jamie was not recruiting him anymore. Um, you know, they, they, he still had his list and everything. Uh, but, you know, he seemed like, you know, a fine kid and everything. But Jamie would stop recruiting him basically because of people, other people that were involved in the whole process for him that they decided they didn't want to deal with anymore. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just really interesting that, like, he makes his commitment to UAB, which is a really good program at the mid-major level. You're not, you're not losing you know, to, you know, an inferior program, even if Jamie was still recruiting him. But Jamie wasn't even recruiting him at that point. And you see so many comments about how Jamie lost out on this guy, like they missed, it was swing and miss, like all these different things. And that was not the case at all for Jamie in this situation. And you see that from guys who were at one point ranked number one in the entire country to yeah. like, you know, solid high school players, but, you know, certainly not a star you know, guaranteed NBA draft pick, you know, JMU. So it's really kind of interesting to see how much, how much goes on behind the scenes of this recruiting stuff, especially with the transfer portal and high school kids scrambling to find any kind of offer that, you know, a few years ago they would have had that they don't now. Um, it, it, it's craziness across the board, but especially in basketball where it's like guys fighting for just a handful of spots and 1600 kids in the portal. And it's, yeah, if, if you're in college basketball right now, I wouldn't want to be a high school senior because that's probably that's probably the, the, the person that's getting left out, I think, at the end of the day because most coaches would rather take a transfer who's already 
played. You already know what you're getting for at least one or two years, and you move on. And obviously, you're gonna see a lot of teams say like they're focusing on high school kids because that's obviously where your most recruiting is gonna come from. But same point, you use Jamie for example. They got two guys at the portal. VCU they had four openings. They've got three portal guys, and they're probably gonna add another fourth from the portal. So I mean, overall, that's probably where where people really. The per- whoever who's getting the short end of the stick is probably the high schoolers at the end of the day. Yeah, because so many guys are coming back for fifth and sixth years because of COVID, and you know, JMU their recruiting class this year they signed. They've gonna they're going to have two, you know, possibly a third, but right now they've got two high school kids. Where, you know, a few years ago a typical recruiting class was three to five high school players, mm-hmm. and you know maybe you get a transfer one transfer like it. It, it, it's completely yeah. changed the outlook, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see just like what this hap- what's happening in a couple of years because you know probably see more Division two to Division one transfers. I uh, see possibly see JUCOs. See lots lots of guys who were potentially Division one recruits who just didn't end up where they probably were good enough to play, and then you know, where are they going to be in a couple of years when they hit the transfer portal for the one-time transfer rule here? <laughs> uh, we could see, like, a complete swing from right now there's so many older, experienced guys transferring to younger, mysterious, played-somewhere-you've-never-heard-of guys but, you know, should have been recruited Division One to begin with. Like, that, that aspect of it could be real wild here in a couple of years. Yeah, no, and I think the one-time the one time transfer, transfer rule, I think, is really playing a, a big impact just because you can you can transfer and not have to sit and you can play right away. and it makes it more appealing for both sides because the coach can say, I don't want to waste a scholarship on you and have you sit on my bench for a year, but now he's like, I'll take the chance on you and you can play, and if you, it doesn't work, then you can leave, but if it works, then you got a, a diamond in the rough. So we'll see what happens, but, yeah, transfer portal is it's hopping on pretty much every sport, and especially in football and basketball. Yeah, and... I get the other, the other aspect of it that you know JMU's kind of trying to figure out is the whole NIL thing, you know, especially in football or basketball, where you know it's becoming a huge thing for a lot of Power Five programs. JMU's trying to recruit against some of these Power Five programs, and uh, you know, even you look like a, a guy like Noah Friedel coming into JMU um, has Power Five opportunities, and you know, he's he's signed. He's you know seems to be firmly committed to JMU at this point but you know I'd, I wouldn't be shocked if he's like kind of wondering okay where are my NIL opportunities here I've got a teammate who's you know from South Dakota State who's transferring on he's going to big big money and I was putting up you know similar numbers to him you know it'll be interesting to see if we ever get businesses a collective something stepping up in JMU because it hasn't been happening as much here quite yet I've been a little surprised there haven't been as much with the local businesses and everything, getting sponsorships and stuff for these athletes. Do you think that's something we're going to see more of here in the next few months that, you know, especially maybe as things settle down and people figure out what this is all about? I think if you want to be competitive in recruiting, NIL is going to be that next thing. It used to be your facilities set you apart. Now it's going to be your facilities and what opportunities do you have for me once I'm on your campus? Um, you see that a lot with big-time college football guys and now you're seeing it with the basketball guys. I mean, you've got undisclosed high school college football recruits and, and even the transfers getting seven-figure offers to come to your school. I mean, you've got Miami, who's just blatantly putting it out there. They're paying 400000 for for transfers these days. And, I mean, 
that's I think what we've come to. It's it's going to turn into a free agency. Maybe the NCAA cuts down on it in the next few months or year. I mean, they've talked about restricting a little bit. We'll see what they actually do. But people wanted athletes to get paid. Now they're getting paid. Now I think some people aren't too thrilled about it. But got to see how it goes now. Yeah, it's it, it'll be interesting to see. Like, to, just doesn't seem like there's been anybody in the Harrisonburg area in the Valley, business wise or anything, that's really kind of stepped up and said we want to get involved in this. NIL stuff, which has been a little bit of a surprise to me, you know. I guess if you want to see you know big time recruits in at JMU, that's something you got to do if you're a business. It's probably a uh, start getting involved in that. Um, first off, if if you're interested in JMU sports, we we need some sponsors too. If you're a business owner listening to this, so like you know, call call the Daily News Record, talk about sponsoring the Purple and Bold podcast, and then if you want to get involved in NIL too, that that sounds like a good plan too. Yeah, prioritize us yes. first. You know? Yeah, that that would that would be my. My, my advice, if you're interested at all in JMU sports, like that's probably the, the number one and number two priorities there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast. I'm Shane Metlin here with Noah Fleischman, and thanks for listening. <laughs>